Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Cinephile History Fit Podcast brought to you by the Ruminations Radio Network and Film Obsessive. This is the tirade film movie debate podcast hosted by two film critics, cool dads, and struggling teachers. But tonight, we have four film critics, four cool dads, and but only still two struggling teachers. So that's all we got. Uh, but we are <laughs> welcoming back uh, Ian Simmons of Kicking the Seat and Mark Krawcheck of Special Mark Productions. We are here to finish out the string of the Christopher Reeve Superman series with Superman for the Quest for Peace movie that predated all this colon title-filled superhero bullshit, and it didn't say Rise, and I can't believe it because every movie says Rise right now. <laughs> Seriously, how many Rises are they going to do? Um, there's more Rises than Ease Factory in this place. But um, oh. here, I don't have those. Um, but we're damn glad to have you. This is all for tantrum's sake. We're shared passions and high fives wash away any place for hate. In the end, we encourage you all to love what you love. But for now, the gloves are off. And the hits. Because we've got some folks here who love this movie. We've got some folks here who hate this movie. And we'll see where this stuff goes in between. Um, but no, as we mentioned before, we are here to kind of finish the collaboration between two, three, two, three podcast, three podcasts of hosts and folks to kind of go through the Christopher Reeve thing because some of us were blessed with having Warner Brothers hook up with hook us up with the 4K box set of the Superman uh, trilogy. I guess we get to say. By the way, that's Don Shanahan, and I'm Mark Pillow. That's right. That's you, you know, yeah, that would be a great. <laughs> Oh, I, like, I don't know, athlete's hotel name, like when they give the fake names in the desk. Yeah, Mark Pillow. No one That's a weird-ass name. It. He's got some yeah. great nails, though. He great does. Nails. Yeah, the Those manicure team working nails. overtime on that one. Are you so, reading the Canon Film Guide? Of course he is. Volume 2, Austin <laughs> Trunick. Yes, yeah, indeed. Two? Nice. I I will I will I will plug this. To, I'm waiting for three. I got to talk to him about three. Yeah, there's all... 900 Wait, people who, pages people who them. represented canon are still alive they're not coked no out and dead no no austin trunick is an author who just took it upon himself he's a huge canon you. fan yeah. and he has probably the most extensive canon collection i have ever met anyone have and go. he did a series he's doing a series of books called the canon film guide he did uh the early years which was 19 80 to 84 mm -hmm. this is 85 to 87 only two years this book and this book is twice as big Whew. as the other one Damn. and then he's doing the down the, the downturn which starts in this book of uh 87 to the 90s it's basically it's wonderful he goes pretty much chronologically he talks about every canon release movie in here and, and he's got interviews upon interviews and photos you wouldn't believe and it is a phenomenal book series for and you can pick up any chapter to just start reading but the way he writes it it's like you're sitting down with a beer with him and talking film i mean the guy writes it very straightforward so why are you reading it mark yeah why are you yeah, reading it right no, now because, well i was looking up the chapter on Superman for the quest for peace. It, mm. it gives you a 65 page chapter. Got it. <laughs> it. Well, it's a 20 page. There's 20 pages in here on just well, that's more than the script for the movie. That's great. I can't I know, wait for right? Mark's five minutes. He's gonna be like, No, no, no. <laughs> well, no, sorry. I just was. was well, you're Bony probably going to go Bony first here. <laughs> well, speaking of how we do this, we do our five little segment, five little minute segments where everyone kind of says their high-minded Kate states their praise, scorches their earth, puts their kind of points out there. After after each of us get a five and a ding, we'll head it off to uh, well, uh, well, we'll do a little read to make our producer happy. But after that, we'll have a shared conversation where the hiss of it really gets chippy, and we see how this all turns out. So. As always, our guests are first. So, Mark, Ian, short straw. Go, Ian. You can go, Ian. Are we going love or hate first? That's I, we're going guests first. So you 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 surf the wave you want, my friend. Uh, I I hate to do this, but I'm gonna have to go with hate. Um, but it's a mild hate. That's the thing is, I hate this movie because I love the idea of you know superman deciding to rid the world of nuclear weapons is very topical christopher reeve uh has a co-story credit not a screen credit but you know it was you know his brainchild to do this and what better way for superman to help out the planet that has adopted him than by taking away our ability to blow ourselves up it's a lovely idea <laughs> and he does this you know he gave a big speech in the united nations and he ties up 
all the nuclear weapons in the world in a giant net and hurls it into the sun. <laughs> Who built the net? Well, I'm sorry. I don't know. Just go ahead. I uh, I don't know. Um, the lady, Al Gore, the I think, sponsored the Bob legislation, Bila. but no. Yeah. The redhead. What page is that on, Mark? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> dig that shit up, We don't Mark. have that. We don't have who made <laughs> Sorry. That. Uninterrupted. Sorry. Uninterrupted. Uninterrupted. Go ahead. Continue. I'm getting that time back. No. Um, <laughs> so leave it to good old Lex Luthor and his nephew, Lenny, uh, played respectively by Gene Hackman and, and John Cryer, to uh, decide, hey, now that the world is free of you know the the, the big bad weapons, um, we are going to create a new Superman out of nuclear and genetic material, uh, and the 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 power waves of the sun called Nuclear Man to defeat Superman. Uh, I think it's a brilliant idea. You kill Superman, take him off the table, and then you create and sell weapons back to the people of Earth. <laughs> Unfortunately, this is a canon production, which means uh, you know low budget special effects, uh, ideas that can't be fully realized. So, I mean, okay, here's a good example. There's a scene where Superman is lifting the Statue of Liberty, saving it from toppling on top of people in Metropolis, aka New York, and uh, you can see through his feet. I rewound my digital copy because I'm like, wait a second, that can't be real. Is Superman a ghost? And turns out, yes, he is. Um, yeah, it's a it's a charming film. It's a very odd film. All the characterizations seem a bit off. The actors seem like they're acting like themselves more than they are the characters, with the exception of Christopher Reeve. Another great example, Gene Hackman playing Lex Luthor. Lex Luthor in the other films is bald but he wears a series of toupees. In this movie, Gene Hackman just has his own hair and he's got a giant bald spot spot in the back of his head. I don't know what's going on with this movie. I hate it, but I also kind of love it, but I love it for all the wrong reasons. I'm giving back the rest of my time because this might be, you know, you guys talking about the rest of it because I don't know what else there is to say. (laughs) Well done, sir. Mark. Thank you. Comb the tome. (laughs) I... uh... I can't completely hate this film. I, we talked about it on my podcast. Uh, it is cheesy. It is it is rough in many spots, but I find a bit of charm to it. But I'm a big Canon fan, so uh, I recognize the fact Canon at this point uh, should not have taken on this project to begin with. And the only reason they got Christopher Reeve back who was done with Superman, I mean, he was getting there with Superman 3, was because they promised to make his film Street Smart. Reeve had a movie and a script, Street Smart, that he wanted to make. Cannon said, we'd finance it if you'll don the blue tights again. Superman, meanwhile, he has the uh, co-credit because he got inspired by the death of a real uh, activist for uh, nuclear uh, disarmament. And she actually died. Uh, she had sent a letter to Russia, and she was trying a uh, representative. I forgot the name of it. It's mentioned in the Canon Film Guide, Volume 2. Uh, <laughs> but um, he, he got the inspiration from that. And uh, the a person's name, really quick here, was uh, uh, Yuri. Uh, nope, not Yuri. Uh, a thir- oh, Samantha, Samantha Small was the name. Samantha Small was the name, and she was an advocate for trying to push, you know, uh, nuclear peace. And so he got inspired by that, and that's probably why he got the co-credit, because he got the idea with it. So, I mean, you, if you know all that background and that, it, and you realize that Canon had an idea, and their spirit and heart was in the right place with this film. And there are hints of really good ideas The problem is they just never had the money to come to fruition. There were lots of problems and such. And so that does show on screen. And that's why I bring it up during my five minutes here is that, you know, I I knew a lot of that chaos in the background. And so when you look at it, I I tend to watch this film and see what it could have been. And it could have really been interesting. Like you said, topical Superman struggling with the idea, which we've seen throughout the entire series so it's a consistent arc of him not getting involved in human you know activities now he is and we've seen that him seen him struggle with that a couple of times over the you know over the course of the films so i mean that is thematically fitting for him 
it, it really boils down to budget with this. Uh, I've watched a lot of below budget stuff, and I, you know, if this was the, f- it, I have, and if I, if this was the first one, you know, that people would kind of go, okay, and then suddenly you like release the next three, those would be even more gold because they're like, oh my lord, wow, look at, the, you know, if you could get butts in the seat, but. For me, it's a mixed bag. There are a lot of things that I just shake my head with, but there are a lot of things that I find charm with. And Gene Hackman's in a completely different movie than everybody else in this film. Him and him and John Cryer are doing their own thing. And if you've ever seen the deleted scenes that are on the Blu-ray, the half hour, while it may not have improved the film, it definitely would have made it far more entertaining, much like Robin, Batman and Robin as entertaining in that category. And so, Mm. you know, whether or not you enjoy that or not, I enjoy it more now than Batman Forever. Uh, And this one is in that silly wheelhouse. And it's sad because this could have been another really big hit, though Superman 3, as we mentioned before, barely made $100 So Superman in general was waning to begin with. Uh, But yeah, it's a mixed bag for me. I don't hate it. I've watched it more times than I probably should have in the last three years uh, for all these podcasts and coverage. But at the same time, I don't mind talking about it because uh, I, I smile when I watch this film. There you go. Real, Nicely real, done. Real quick, before I go into my five minutes, the lady that inspired this, what happened yes, with the, her? Did she assassinate the, it or something? Or what? No, she had, she got killed in a plane crash. Uh, oh. Samantha. Small. So that doesn't mean the answer is no. <laughs> she uh, was true well you know what i just i wanted to clarify because i mean what what greater honor could it be for your death than to have superman for the quest for peace be uh dedicated <laughs> to your name um but <laughs> i'm gonna go ahead and uh do my five minutes uh i love this movie um it's my second favorite of the original four uh, believe nice. it or not, um, I think I'm not even looking at Ian's face because no, no, because I uh, I do not like Superman two. I haven't seen the Donner cut, but I don't like Superman two because the fact that you know, in order for uh, you know the director to get credit, he had to reshoot a lot of stuff, and it was a direct sequel to what is many would consider, including my co-host Don, the masterpiece film. Um, so it just feels like someone doing a a replica of you know um a better film and it's mm-hmm. just just weaker so that's why i don't like two i like the fact that three does its own thing uh it sucks but it does its own thing and i'm, I'm good with that it has its moments but this one like i don't know it, it hits tickles all the little spots for me that i like you know don knows this i don't know if ian knows this mark definitely knows this about me but like you know uh i, I definitely love a low budget uh, ambition, uh, you know, ambition and effort over um, necessarily skill or talent or whatever you want to call it. I I like plucky movies. I like low budget, like just science fiction slash horror stuff that kind of push tries to do something and it does it horribly, but it still tries really hard. And I don't think like the visual effects here are because they're lazy or like they're, they're just really trying to do something they don't have the money to do, but they're still trying. And I like that. And, um, and I love, and I I really love the fact that Christopher Reeve is just a a freaking pro man. Like he is just a pro. Like he, there is no uh, difference between how he's performing in Superman, the movie and, and Superman for the quest for peace. He's just given it, He's Superman. And I love that you can watch all these movies and at least get that consistency out of it. But I also, I do love the fact, like, I don't necessarily uh, condemn actors for doing paycheck movies. Um, And the fact, because sometimes it's just like, oh, you're going to pay me a bunch of money to be in this garbage. Like, I'm going to have a blast while I'm doing it. Why not? And I think Gene Hackman's just like, screw it. And, and, And I think that, like, lack of intensity with someone who you're used to seeing is so intense. Like it's kind of fun. It's playful. It's different. Um, John Cryer is definitely playing, you know, a punk person, uh, (laughs) like, you know, years after punk is punk, you know, and I think that's fun. I, I just, I just love the continual miscalculations and craziness that this movie tries to do. 
But also, and this is this is why I tend to be a little bit more forgiving of superhero films, uh, a lot more than the average person. Is this one? It is very comic booky. It just feels mm-hmm. like like I understand these are movies. I understand that people, you know, especially in this day and age, expect like the biggest and the best, especially with these budgets and things. But you know, when you're looking at the source material, uh, the reason why sometimes I like some of these superhero films that are heavily maligned is because I want that feeling of like Saturday afternoon. I've got nothing to do. This is, you know, I'm a, I'm a eighties and nineties kid, you know, no phones, TV, you know, nothing taped on, you know, um, DVR or anything like you're, you're, you're subject to whatever is out there. And, I, I miss that feeling of just being like, you know what? I got nothing to do right now. It's a nice summer day. I'm going to sit outside, just open up a random comic book and, you know, no huge arc, no huge. I mean, there's obviously huge stakes in this one, but it doesn't really feel like it, but this just feels like I'm reading number 16 of a random Superman comic book. Uh, and like I said, if you're looking at it from a movie perspective, yeah, it's pretty bad that they would choose this story, I guess, for an epic motion picture. But at the same time, I don't know. It just, I think we're, we are talking about a guy who can fly and shoot laser beams out of his eyes. And sometimes that doesn't have to be taken too seriously. And I do love the earnestness. I, I joke about, you know, the woman that inspired the story, but like, um, I, I think it's really cool that, you know, Christopher Reeve was like, Hey, I want to tell a story about something kind of important. Now it's, you know, kind of silly. Cause he ends up fighting, you know, a WWE wrestler or WWF, I guess that time you would know Don with really long nails, but I mean, it'd be gold letter, gold letter, WWF. Yeah. WWF. So yeah, it's, but I, I, I don't know. It just, it just works for me. I love it. I enjoy it. I, I would watch this one again over two and three easily because, well, first of all, it's also, you know, they cut 45 minutes out of the film. So it's only like <laughs> 40 minutes long of a movie, but you know, it's just, it's, it's just, Good, stupid, earnest, adorable, bad, so bad it's good, fun, and I can't argue with that. Well done. Well done. Um, I got to match my podcast partner, but only so far. Um, <laughs> Ian's right. This movie is awful. Um, it's not very good. The budget shows. It's hard. It's really difficult to, to see its see its huge massive epic start in 1978 and watch it you know dribble and piddle away to this um that that's really disheartening when you think of the whole arc um and where what it could have been and where richard donner if you were to stay in good graces with richard donner i mean i know he went on to by this time 1987 he's making lethal weapon and whatnot and he did you know where I, I don't know if you get him or you're able to keep him, but maybe you do. I'm sure that's kind of a, a sliding door situation where like if Warner brothers was, a, was able to keep Donner this whole time, will we ever get to lethal weapon in time and whatnot? Like, I don't want to change that man's career, but at the same time, um, uh, yeah, to watch it degrade to this is, is, it's difficult on one hand. Uh, on the other hand, um, will is right in that what, even with diminishing returns, so to speak, and even with bad budgets and a slashed in half budget and, and just, um, just, you just limitations, you still don't lose the core of what still makes this nice. And that is, uh, Will, I love your word. Um, the earnestness, I mean, Christopher Reeve, like you said, and like others have said on this spot here, he's given 110%, no matter the material, he he's a Juilliard trained actor. He's going to go out there and make this Hamlet no matter what. So. Yeah, it's and I re- I can respect that and and as usual, him cooking Hamlet, w- you know, in in a Superman costume makes what all of us, well, most of us, I should say, of our particular generation, completely see what he does and respect as being the best portrayal of Superman we might ever get. No offense to the mm. other people who've tried and whatnot, but I mean, there's just something special about the way Reeve has always been able to do this even with limited material. Like um, I know the complaint out there is all the time, like, Oh, if Henry Cavill just got better material and whatnot, well, Christopher Reeve got shit and he still spun gold, like Rumpelstiltskin. So <laughs> and a, a good, and what I mean to say that is this is like a good actor will elevate the material and not be held back by it. And right. that is, that's Reeve uh, nailing this movie and keeping it respectable. Um, and then, yeah, if you have Gene Hackman taking a paycheck and having fun, 
that that can be enough to entertain you on a good day. I will take this movie. I like I said last week with Superman three. I will take the ninety four minutes of this to the two hours and five minutes of Superman three. Um, I'm a Superman two guy. I I like the three villains. I like the elevated stakes. I like the 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 aftermath or the 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 um the the downerness that is still kind of there. You know, the the mystique is 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 in place. It's just diminished thanks to Lester in a couple spots. But um mm. where yeah, this is still the third for me, the third best of this of this quadrilogy. And um it's an, an easy one to have fun with. Um I I when I watched it this time, I couldn't help but like think about how mm. if they made this movie today, yeah, it would probably get laughed out of the multiplex. But at the same time, I would I would enjoy it because um we've talked about this last show and on other shows, just like the stakes of superhero movies are just made to be so huge and so big. And yeah, we are wrapping all the nuclear weapons of the planet in a net and throwing them to the sun. But at the same time, it's just Superman doing a double date with Mario Hemingway and Margot Kidder and just trying to, yeah, it, it's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's uh, the movie knows how to slow down and just be fun. And and I can respect that. Whereas most movies feel like nowadays, especially, have to feel like they have to be ultra serious the whole time, or, or, or it's all or the camp is dialed too high, um, and the camp is di- of course dialed up because it's the eighties and the excess and it's canon, but um, but no, I there's there's enough entertaining pieces here thanks to a committed Reeve and a and a and a <laughs> and a paycheck taking Hackman. Where, um, yeah, this is just fun. Um, I'll, I'll take it. I'll love it. Um, it's to me, this is the silliest, easiest one you can put in front of kids because the first mm-hmm. one is, you know, two and a half hours and it's epic and it's long. And don't get me wrong, my kids sat in front of it and they loved it, but it, you know, it takes 55 minutes for Superman to show up. Um, whereas this one, you could just open it up and roll. And there's mm-hmm. something to be said for a, a, an easy, breezy, 94 minute campy light knows exactly what it is budget and all superhero movie and we just don't make these anymore for probably for good reason but at the same time it counts as a breath of uh i can't say fresh air but like you know old bubblegum air and that's still kind of sweet every now and then so i don't know um ladies and gentlemen let's take a short break for uh our non-corporate partners and friends you've seen twin peaks all the way through but all you have are spoiler-free discussions At Blue Rose Task Force Podcast, no information is classified and nothing beats the listening sensation when production history collides with deep theory. Put the coffee on. So question for the the group. Yeah. Um, Have any of you seen Street Smart? No, it's the Morgan Freeman one that got him on the map, right? Yep. Yeah. Yeah, He got got an Oscar nomination for that. And uh, very, like on Morgan Freeman, like performance in terms of Quite. what he kind of became known as. Um, and he's really the only good thing about the movie. It's just, it's just kind of weird that, you know, he made this to, to make that as a passion project, but um, he is, Christopher Reeve is almost completely forgettable in street mm. smart. It's, it's a movie yeah. that's dom- dominated by a lot of the character actors in it. Like Kathy Baker plays a prostitute and, um oddly i don't remember if this is superman three or four what what's which, which superman three or four is it that someone's like you need to go out on the town and be clark kent needs to go out in the town and be part of the scene is that is that the fourth one it might be this one this is mario hemingway urging is right yeah that was this one yeah oddly yeah. enough that is, that is what street smart is about is <laughs> there's this reporter who can't get any good stories and he's trying to get stories on, you know, back in the good old days of 42nd street when times square was, you know, full of hookers and drugs and stuff. <laughs> and he goes, he goes out uh, and essentially fabricates a story about this fictional pimp. Um, and it becomes a huge hit and he realizes crap. Like uh, I totally made this up, but the problem is he made it up, but there's a pimp exactly like the person he made up and that's Morgan Freeman. And it creates all kinds of chaos and craziness. As you can imagine, it's not a very good movie despite the performance, but you know, like if I was tasked with watching, I'm a big fan of like gritty New York, 
you know, fair, especially in the uh, 70s and 80s when you get to see New York as it was before it was, you know, demolished and Giuliani-ized and Disney-fied mm-hmm. and everything. But um, I would probably pick Superman 4 over Street Smart if you put both of them in front of me. Uh, Morgan Freeman's great performance and all because uh, uh, that one just, uh, it just doesn't hit me. And it just, ma- it just makes me wonder why he was so passionate about it when... Uh, yeah. When, maybe it's like maybe it's forgettable. you know maybe it's the whole like i need to give like this kind of cd story or even an actor like morgan freeman maybe he knew greatness then like i need to give this guy a shot he doesn't mm-hmm. get shots you know and i don't know because like morgan launch padded that to lean on me and then he's been either a leading man or supporting figure for 40 years so mm-hmm. reeve, reeve is interesting because like career-wise like superman puts him on the map like crazy and then he follows he waits two years to follow it up with somewhere in time which swoons every ladies and drops every pair of panties in the world um and, <laughs> and then i got superman, the soundtrack to that too <laughs> oh it's such good it, I, I love that movie uh, um panties and all um but um so, then he does superman 2 and then he's like i can't stay typecast as the swoon worthy guy he makes death trap you know an lgbt film essentially and then kind of bounces around with uh, monsignor superman 3 um tries to do kind of the aviator and then he kind of strikes out where street smart comes around at the same time as queen quest for peace and then i don't know it's like christopher reeve just kind of fell off to television like that was kind of his last shot right he was remains of the day right he was in that Mm -hmm. remains of the day is like years later though right like when that's like Like before he was yeah before he was paralyzed yeah Yeah, that's six years after superman though like and a lot of i'm saying he still got a high profile movie though but yeah yeah, like he did a he did a great uh, mark might agree with me on this one the village of the dam which i actually think is an underrated john carpenter movie Mm -hmm. um he did that one but yeah, I mean, he, but at that point, John Carpenter wasn't really John Carpenter anymore. And, yeah. you know, his star was definitely fading and everybody's star was fading. So, yeah, I, I don't, you know, he was pretty much Superman. You know, that was kind of, you know, he, when you thought of him, that's kind of who you thought of. I remember him doing a, I don't remember the name of it. It was right before he was paralyzed. And I remember my young, my young staying up late watching HBO at 1 a.m. He did like this kind of erotic thriller with Kim Cattrall. Oh, above and I just, is Yeah, because and I remember yeah. the the picture like on the poster was like him and Kim Cattrall in the shower, and then there was like this kind of big sex scene in the shower. And I remember I was 13, I was like, oh, this is amazing. But oh. uh, that was kind of like that kind of came out like literally like months before he was yeah. paralyzed. And I remember Maybe, that kind of being yeah. but yeah, like he has a really uh interesting career uh whether it's quote-unquote good or not i don't know but at the very least you can say that the guy it was good in these movies never compromised just never compromised yeah he he gave did it yeah he did it and uh that's that's probably why i love this movie too is because Mm -hmm. i really feel like i'm getting I don't know, like, even if, even in something like, uh, we'll, we'll bring up another maligned fourth entry, Thor Love and Thunder, right? Like, you know that Christian Bale is giving you his full Christian Bale-ness. Like, you know that you pay him the money, he's not going to give you uh, a crappy performance. So, Chris Reeve, I'm not saying he's on Christian Bale's caliber of actor, but, like, it seems like so as soon as he signs the contract, he's he's Superman and he's going to play mm-hmm. Superman convincingly and he's going to give that to you. And I think it's one of the saving graces of these last two entries, which are mixed because he's just so consistently good in them. And, and that's, a, that's a definitely a saving grace. He's worth the price of admission. I see what you're saying. And I definitely do appreciate that about him as an actor, mm-hmm. but a really strong central performance in an otherwise completely unnecessary and compromised movie isn't enough to get me to watch that movie again. It's enough to make me go back and watch the better versions of those performances mm. in one, two, and, and I'll, uh, frankly, three. Mm. Um, it, you know, I, I want to go back to a few things that you had said, Will. Uh, you know, the idea of this being like a comic book. There are a few key differences between comic book movies and comic books, and not just, well, one's moving and one's on paper. Mm-hmm. Um, it's that a time the investment of time 
you know, you can read your average, you know, 24 page floppy in about 15 minutes, Mm -hmm. unless it's like something from image from the early nineties in which it takes about two minutes because it's all splash pages (laughs) and fight scenes. You are correct. Um, so you're, so you're in and out. If you're, if you're stuck with a bad, you know, like you said, issue 16 of a Superman comic and it's a random new villain who's made from the sun and genetic material, you're in and out in you know less than a quarter of an hour, so you can like move it, watch it, move on. This thing is yes, it's the shortest Superman movie, but it's also an hour and a half. And especially, and you know, I'm I'm happy to watch it again. I watched it again for Mark's show. I'm watching it again for you guys. I'm happy to say I never need to or intend to watch this movie ever again <laughs> because every time I'm like, I remember all this. It's not very good, but I just want to be able to 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 recall things sharply. It's, mm. it's a chore. It's, it's, it is homework, which is appropriate because I'm dealing with teachers. Mm. The other thing is, <laughs> comic books also tend to be, uh, and it's not a rule, but you have to have a certain amount. We'll, we'll say the big two. Let's say that DC Comics represents Warner Brothers, and not just because Warner Brothers owns DC. Technically, Discovery owns them all. But you have to be of a certain caliber of writer and artist to get a comic book to get mm-hmm. on to, to write and or draw Superman or action comics. Mm-hmm. So the equivalent of the special effects and the writing in Superman for the quest for peace would never make it into a mainstream comic book. Now I know there are people who would disagree with that. And sometimes I disagree with that given some of the directions that, you know, modern comics have gone, but mm-hmm. you know, just as a rule, you're not going to see, you know, in one issue, you've got a beautiful Jerry Ordway story and the next one, you've got someone drawing stick figures. In this, you're going from the Richard Donner Superman to stick figures. Yeah. Seeing through Superman's costume yeah. in, in part four and the, the cheese, it's so bad. On top of it, comic books also tend to be, especially when you're talking about the big two, some base level smart. Um, you could put this movie True. in front of children, but I would not do it as any kind of a civics lesson because... I'm just kidding. Hmm? As a well, no, I'm just kidding. No, I, I, I watched this as a kid and I thought it was pretty cool. But here's the thing. like, All right. In a weird way, this movie ties into Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice, which I watched last weekend. Oh, I my. finished it last weekend with my son because we're seeing The Flash and he hasn't seen the Snyder stuff, so we're going to yeah. catch up, right? Good preface, yeah. Um, this, is, this is a good preface to that movie because Superman lands at the UN and he just announces, hey, I'm afraid for all of you people, and I also live here, so I'm going to take all your weapons away. And then he walks out and everybody's applauding. There's mm-hmm. not one voice of dissent saying, as Ben Affleck's Bruce Wayne did in Batman v Superman, there's an alien who showed up to our planet, and we're just lucky that he is benevolent and doesn't want to take us over or destroy us. Imagine if General Zod landed in the UN and said, you know what, I'm going to completely strip away your ability to defend yourself, not just, not just blow yourselves up, but Mm -hmm. any capability to, you know, fight back against an alien threat. And then at the end, when Perry White has his big heroic speech against (laughs) the, you know, Mr. Warfield, the guy who took over the, the daily planet, you know, I understand he's the big evil guy, but he has a point. I don't necessarily think you're going to do everything by page sixing the Daily Planet, having like nude girls on the cover or whatever. But when you have a newspaper that hasn't made a profit in three years, yeah, some billionaire is going to swoop in, buy it for a song and say, I'm going to put out the content that people want to buy. And Perry White shows up at the end saying, well, we got together with all the other muckety mucks in New York and bought the paper out from under you. And here's the headline. Uh, Mr. Warfield, the most connected billionaire in Metropolis doesn't have anybody to let him know that he's being bought out again and his own he paper is running a headline about the, the takeover of a story. Yeah. It's just not I smart. I agree. And, and I, I, like, I expect, I expect yeah. smarts from a Superman movie at this point. Well, no, look at, look well, at, uh, I, I what was, is it? Iron Man, Iron Man two with Tony Stark, like where he addresses Congress. Now it's snarky as fuck, but like, he still is like, I'm your nuclear deterrent. And he knows it, you know? And like, Superman doesn't quite Superman three or four doesn't quite come in with smarts like that. And yet here we are where uh, well, I, I, I hear you. Hey, smarts go a long way. Well, a couple things. One, I, I guess I was relating more of the feeling of reading a comic book as opposed to the very specifics of how comic books are constructed. Like I just, like I said, I, 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 I it was more like I'm reading a comic book 
in that feeling of those lost summers when I was 12. And uh, so I, I, well, I see no, what but, you're saying. But, but, but they, they kind of go hand in hand or they can, yeah. because like, let's go back to the image comics thing. Yeah. I will, I can rip through issue five of Rob Liefeld's young blood in a minute <laughs> and a half because yeah. I know what the art is. I know there's no story. I can say that I've read it. Mm-hmm. I can't right. do that with issue one of Alan Moore's Watchmen, which right. takes about an hour and a half to get through because I'm pouring over Dave Gibbons art. I'm thinking about all the ideas and the subtext and the, the intricacies of the panel layouts that Alan Moore thumbnailed all of this stuff. It's a right. feeling that's also like, you know, the feeling ties in with the quality of the material that you're given, even sure. if you realize it or not. Well, yeah, but I also think that maybe at that age I'm thinking about, I probably wasn't thinking on that intellectual level yet of reading a comic like that. I was just reading it for the entertainment value, which is why I can go into this even as a film guy and be like, yeah, this is a bad movie, but it's a fun movie. You are like, I'm having fun. Just like I would probably read any comic, you know, in the 90s at that probably 11, 10, and, and just be like, not necessarily looking at those qualities you're looking at. And that might be because... You know, I was young and dumb. I don't know, but I just, you know, I just, I can see what you're saying. Like, if I was an adult reading them, but maybe as no like, argument oh, there. No, yeah, and also, I also am a master of getting uh, in and out in was, two minutes. But um, yeah. no, whoa, <laughs> whoa. <laughs> here, come on, you've aged, you've aged wonderfully in the dumbness department. They call it the Flash. Yeah. You know, oh, <laughs> that movie does not finish quickly. Let me tell you. <laughs> Ooh. Yeah. Um, no, but yeah, I, I, I totally respect and see where you're coming from on that. And I, and I, I, I totally understand that. I guess, I guess, uh, well, and, and to address what um, uh, Don's talking about, and this actually I think would support what you're saying, Ian, because when he mentions in Iron Man 2 how, you know, he's very, you know, flippantly like, you know, I'm your nuclear deterrent, deal with it. You know, they that th- that movie and subsequent movies actually addresses how how dangerous that is. You know, with uh, the fact that you know some of the people that you know Stark stepped on, you know, his father stepped on to you know be the success he was was Whiplash's dad, and and that leads to a whole thing. But also, Age of Ultron, which is not a very good movie. You know, his whole idea of like I'm the nuclear deterrent, I'm going to put a suit of armor around the world, and how that totally goes against you know totally works against him you know uh there's where those smarts come in it wasn't just for comedic effect or simple uh you know uh, earnestness or to have a message it actually showed that there's consequences to that so i actually think what don's saying supports your point there's actually intelligence and thoughtfulness through this this one is true it does kind of go for that heroic moment of just like hey I'm going to save all you guys and we're supposed to clap. And, and, and the way the movie is presented, we are supposed to clap, you know, whereas like you said, I can't believe I'm giving credit to uh, Batman versus Superman for anything, but yeah, that is a good point that, you know, what if this was different kind of a la like uh, one of my favorite comics, red sun, where it's like, what happened if you landed somewhere else and became a whole different person? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. yeah. Well, look at the movie Brightburn. I yeah. love Brightburn. People don't talk enough about Brightburn, which is basically them not getting licensing for it. But if you watch it, you're like, oh, this is their story as if Superman landed and he was a total psycho. Mm-hmm. And Brightburn is a wonderful exploration in that and mm-hmm. shows you what could be if you had the wrong kid or the wrong person raising said kid with all of those powers. Mm-hmm. You know? and you're right. Superman four. We, we, we're all at least in agreement. It's not a good film, but there is various levels of entertainment that we've, that are represented here in this film. And we've got to look at it. I think in all honesty, again, as I mentioned in, in my first five minutes, if this was like the first Superman film, I don't think it, I mean, it would have gotten as much play as it, had and as much probably press and and eyes on it necessarily but i don't think people would have been as critical because re- let's remember no let's I remember the, the 80s the 80s gave a it was a rough time for superhero films okay I, well, like, was, well, here's the thing i, I kind of like that movie too yeah well, yeah but how long how long but did I, it take I, to get from matt singer there to chris evans mm-hmm. how long was that character burnt before you could right. even try again. I mean, think about how long the was TV. it between Roger Corman's 
Fantastic Four and Tim Story is fantastic. Well, and even 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 Christopher Reeve, the difference between him and Brandon Routh mm-hmm. was nineteen years. Nineteen good years. Actor. That's so, how yeah. bad it was burnt. So you, you you know what I'm saying. So I, I I'm just saying that it, I I think there's a little bit of context with it. It, mm-hmm. it it suffers from a lot, but I that's where I find some of the charm and stuff in it is that uh, looking at it as the body of work of the other superhero content that we got during that time, it actually is kind of fitting in a way but in the body in the body work of superman movies it is definitely one that's rough to watch but if you look i mean we got that those tv movies with thor in quotes and and the hulk right we got i mean we got spider-man the only reason i've mentioned it before only reason i really watched electric company was to see the live action spider-man because that was about the only place you could find a live Mm -hmm. action spider-man at the time Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, so the 80s, as far as your fil- feature films go with superheroes, it, few and far between, yeah. most of them didn't get the budget because even with Superman, even though it took off in 78, this was made in uh, 79. Uh, this, is, yeah. this was initially the first one was made in 79. Um, so oh, they were I thought trying- you were talking about the Payun one. The nineteen ninety one, right? I like that. Yeah, yeah, I do too. It's silly, but it works. Um, You know, I I think I'm not. I'm. It's not saying that it's a good movie. I'm just saying though that within the context of the era that it came out, it's actually fitting. (laughs) What year was? What year was Masters of the Universe? The same nineteen eighty seven. Yeah, eighty seven. I mean, I look at that movie and I look at Superman four and go. Cut from the same cloth, you know, like well, that's well, because they both suffered both from the same films, problem. Yeah, yeah, yeah like budget, same, like hey, the same like, costumes, didn't they? Because yeah. they, they used similar slash. costumes. Yeah, yeah, they used yeah. similar costumes. In fact, uh, costumes they were going to use. I think it was either for a Spider-Man or I. I it's been a while since I read it. A Spider-Man or a Captain America yeah. film because they got the rights to that too. They ended up using those in Masters of the Universe because they were so in the hole for Masters of the Universe mm-hmm. that they had to borrow. They spent most of their budget on the one set, which was the throne room. Literally, yeah, that yeah, throne you can tell room that was time pretty there. much... And they didn't even finish that. And no. they were turning the lights off literally as they were making the film. Yeah. They literally turned the lights off because they couldn't afford it. So, I mean, it's a rough time for genre yeah. films right in general but, but here's the thing superman 4 falls perfectly into what i'll call asterisk filmmaking which is Describe you that. can say to someone hey watch superman 4 but you got to understand it came out in an era of mediocre superhero mm-hmm. movies you have to understand they didn't have the budget you have to understand they didn't have a fully baked script mm-hmm. all this other stuff it's kind of like when yeah. you're talking about art like oh uh, well my pen was starting to run out of ink so it looks a little bit rough or oh i had to turn it in so i had to like rush this and tr- cut these corners that should not matter to the audience going in to watch the True. movie they don't care which well, is, you cannot you can you well can say to someone hey watch superman 1978 you need no explanation it is a perfect superhero film mm-hmm. yeah and that's that's the thing is i i while i support what you're saying mark it is superman 4 you know it's mm-hmm. the fourth one it's sure. not a reboot it's considered for the fourth chapter of even if it's episodic of the first one to the third sequel to the first one which we all probably agree is pretty damn perfect. So, mm-hmm. I mean, you could put it in that context, but at the same time, you still are, you know, uh, it, it would, it would be the same thing using your example of Brightburn. If that was a mm-hmm. Superman film, it mm-hmm. might have a whole different like context in itself on it. So it's, sure. unfortunately it's got yeah. Superman in it and it's, it's, <laughs> it's a direct, it's not a reboot or any of that no, stuff. No, you can't look it. at it separately. So I, I don't know. I mean, but I think we also talked about this with Superman three too, where it was the, the, they changed, like they gave creative control completely to the director, you know, as opposed to him just kind of coming in and hatcheting up whatever Donner had done, you know, and they went their own way. And that's kind of why I respect it a little bit, because even though it was very different, it was still its own thing. And this is probably why I respect this one too, a little bit is because it is, it is its own thing. And, uh, and and plus, yeah, you can't really. I mean, 
the people working on it can't help the fact that the studio came with them with a budget and then the next day was like, oh yeah, let's cut that in half completely. Like half. going down from like 60 to 30 million or whatever. It was the hell 30 it was. million. Yeah. It was 30 yeah, million rough. for like, the th- budget. That's, yeah. that's going to change, you know, that's going to change uh, quite a bit. And, and there is, I mean, I always bring up Star Trek on this show. There's always the possibility of creative brilliance through those limitations. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you look at the fact that they, cut the budget from Star Trek, the motion picture down from like, you know, 80 million down to like 10 for Star Trek two. But, you know, a great director was able to kind of turn that into a kind of a naval submarine thriller, you know, that didn't require a lot of grandiose things. And it, it and it worked. And, you know, you always, because you had a, you, because you had acting and a solid screenplay, you know, right. that That's movie is most, it's like fail safe in space. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. No. And it's, and it's also just like a great director, like, utilizing what he has to it just like i mean the classic example is always steven spielberg the shark did work so he found ways to make it scarier by not showing it and and then and then this i don't know how much like if you're building a movie based on what you have in front of you and then suddenly they take that away but you still got to put that out there i don't know if there's enough time yeah. I know I'm giving them a lot more credit than they probably deserve on this film, well, but you know what I mean? Like if you, if you, if you've designed everything for 60 million, then you only have 30 to do it unexpectedly. I mean, you're going to have cut corners cause you're, you're sure. dedicated the time and everything you have to, to doing that. And then you kind of end up getting stuck with really bad visual effects, you know? Or, I mean, you gotta, yeah. you got a filmmaker who was not a rookie. Like I think this movie completely falls apart with lesser hands now i'm not saying richard donner showed up and did superman 4 but like sydney fury knows how to make movies you know it's like he did mm-hmm. yeah i mean yeah. the guy had a, a, a lengthy resume before 1987 not the best resume after 1987 <laughs> but like he i mean a guy that if you if you slash his legs he would he would put tourniquets on and make a film you know um i don't know who uh, there's an ilka filmmaker who couldn't do that they would we would be talking about Batgirl and tax write-offs or you'd have to they'd have to get replaced or Martin Scorsese would cry about fucking Apple's budget or it would it would get it would get stupid um with with either hoity-toity-er talent or lesser talent so you just gotta you know you got a spit and glue guy who, who figured it out wasn't pretty well, I think I think one of the the problems here is that Sidney Fury I mean he directed Iron Eagle which came out the year before yeah. this and then before that, back in the 70s, he did a great movie called Little Faust and Big Halsey, which was Robert Redford playing kind of a heel. It's a dirt bike movie. Mm-hmm. The problem is, is that he's doing a superhero movie now. Yeah. So if you cut Tough your job. budget on a dirt bike racing movie, you can still rely on the acting and, and the writing. Mm-hmm. And the same with Iron Eagle. You can do a lot with model planes and creative shots. In this, it's a superhero movie. So you got to have people yeah. flying above the city and flying to outer space and all that. And the problem is... It's almost a sunk cost fallacy when your budget gets slashed in half, but you still have to put out the movie. The studio needs to understand that the movie is going to be received. The expectation, I know you hate that word, Don. I do. The expectation is people are going to show up expecting to see a great Superman movie or at least a good Superman movie. And when they's Mm -hmm. like, why does this look like paper flying across the screen? (laughs) Why is it? Why are they padding out the time with this? You know, I, I know it's charming and everything, but it goes on way too long. This whole double identity, double date thing. Like, what does this have to do with Superman? Honestly, that was then you got ish moment where I'm like, right. But it's also, they're trying for a film runtime. Uh, but yeah, so when you make those decisions, you can either say, all right, you know what? Superman four didn't work. It's never coming out. We're going to put it on the shelf. Someone will discover it later and put out a special right. edition where they patch it together or we put it out and people can throw tomatoes at the screen. Cause it's not very good. No, well, it's can- it's true. canon. They're not going to put it on the shelf. Yeah, they're, they're, put they're, nothing you're, you're right. on the shelf. Yeah. <laughs> Who no, would I, do but that? I understand. DC would never do that to a movie. Um, but, um, <laughs> No, but Ian, you make a great point because uh, as much as um, I I don't like Superman three that much, uh, technically, uh, you know, they learned some things. They they learned some things about the uh, what do they call that rear projection? Yeah, how yeah. to shoot that, and also even better than the first Superman is some of the technical stuff in three, like when he lifts off. Like like mm-hmm. the way that they they were able to film how he lifts off the ground and 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 some of the flying effects that comes from time and 
you know, being like, okay, this is what we couldn't do in 78. So we're going to fix this and fix this. And so three has some, you know, you can say what you want about the story and everything like that, but yeah, they did focus on some of the technical elements so that even at, even at its worst, you can still be like, well, there's some great set design. There's, you know, his, he looks like he's actually flying, lifting off the ground, coming down from the ground, flying in the air, you know, the way they've, refilm stuff so that is a good point. i still don't, I, I still don't know how they did that i mean i watched I superman 3 and i'm like where are the wires like <laughs> did they drop him and he just landed gracefully and they reversed the film like <laughs> it still looks magic to me yeah no it's amazing like it's, it's really good i i was kind of shocked mm-hmm. because you know we're so used to the superhero landing now and people oh. that can fly doing stuff and it looks so flawless and so it looks like today's stuff in Superman three, it's that impressive in terms of mm-hmm. the, the ease in which he's, he's able to like, obviously be on wires and come down. And, and, and I love when a good actor that can do it has that feeling of like, where you can tell when they put their feet on the ground and they make that little mental adjustment, like, okay, I just got done flying. Now I'm on the ground. And they kind of emphasize that drop down, you know, like this mm-hmm. good acting choices there, you know, and yeah, it's cool. What's interesting is if you see the deleted scenes for this film, uh-huh. uh, it could have been even more batshit crazy. Oh, French, sure. You're right. It, there, there is a half hour on that Blu-ray, and I mentioned this, I think, in the last one, in the Blu-ray box set, it's hilarious because as the film discs go along, you get less and less special features. <laughs> so you get to four, and most of four is made up of a really weird 50th anniversary series special, which if you watch it, I still don't understand where they were coming from putting this together for Superman of all properties. I'm like, you're doing it with an SNL cast at the time. Yeah. Really? This is, it's like, I mean, it's fitting that they put it on the Superman four disc. They're like, we've got this special. Yeah, let's put it on the four. We got to pad out that Blu-ray. But there's 40, there's 30 some odd minutes of cut scenes. There's a whole sequence with a basically bizarro type character that he fights before he fights the sun guy. You know, and I'm guy. The sun guy. That's still silly though. The shadow and like, you know, it's rough. Yeah. But they they do a kind of a Frankenstein monster type of angle with that character, and while it is ridiculous, it looks ridiculous. It's it's just as campy though as Nuclear Man, and it, it watching it, I'm like, you know, if you would have probably threw this in here, it it shows you go for the complete camp, and it might have made this even more at least interesting. Not necessarily better, but interesting because of what you were doing with this, and you were showing Superman fighting a, a, a different creation who seemed actually more powerful than Nuclear Man. He was just dumber than a box of rocks, more dumb than than Nuclear Man. If he wasn't, uh, you know, but that's what those yeah, those uh, cutscenes are about. What? Let's well, how talk long? About- how long is how long is Batman and Robin? Ninety seven. How long? With the, with the trip of the, like two the, hours. It's 125 with the trip minutes. of the egos. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So like, if you just throw all the camp in, you'd have a two-hour fat movie, you know. And it, you would have it a two-hour fat bounce. movie. That yeah, yeah. but well, it would be look, entertaining. It'd be weird, but it'd be right. you know. Well, and I know we're running out of time, but I just I, I want to talk about Nuclear Man or the Sun Guy or whatever we want to call him. <laughs> I actually don't mind him. I I I kind really? of think he's genuinely physically threatening. I mean, his nails are a little much. Um, oh, but like I, I think that their fight on the moon's pretty good. Like they they do a good job of like, you know, kind of I, I kind of love when he's just bashing him in the ground like a flag. Like it's I don't know, like I, I actually thought it was a pretty good fight. Um mm-hmm. I, I like that they use Gene Hackman's kind of lowered voice for his evil voice i mean it's it's gonna look a little silly but i mean we are talking about superhero films i mean superman in itself though it's iconic is silly when you really think about it as most superhero outfits are so i don't know i just i kind of i mean do you guys think that i, I know he's not a a, a three-dimensional excellent you know psychological villain but in terms of like a physical threat i thought he was fine i thought he was 
enjoyable to watch. Like I, I thought the stakes with them fighting was pretty good. And that, that comes down to good acting too, good fight choreography, True. things like that. I mean, do you guys agree or do you think he's a complete joke? No, I, I think he's, I think yeah. he's kind of the strongest part of the movie. It's just a shame that the effects didn't match the ambition mm. in that yeah. case. Although I do, I do uh, going, it does call to mind the whole idea of why are there capes billowing in their fight on the moon? Yeah. And you'll notice the American How flag. How did Mariel Hemingway survive still. in space? Right. How did Mariel Hemingway survive <laughs> oh, in space? Yeah. She didn't get well, because, burned. In the, yeah. That was crazy. Well, no, because she, she was be total Superman. recalling her way to like vacuum. No, su- yeah. Superman <laughs> has this bubble about him. Look at him with Margot Kidder. He literally only had the fingers on Margot Kidder and she was and, flying. And it wasn't until she raised her hand. If, that oh no, but she was if, still within well, Earth's atmosphere. Correct. Well, they were pretty damn high. So you no, know. she wasn't at the point where she'd be suffocating or freezing to death. And no. she was even higher than. Never mind. If anyway. you guys think that that's just a low budget movie doing that, there's a recent high budget mm-hmm. movie that came out that made this same stupid mistake in The Little Mermaid when a fucking seagull goes underwater and not only like is underwater for like five minutes, yep. but has Full an entire fucking conversation underwater with fish. Dead right. And then yep. the seagull runs, you know, it's like, what the, f-? like, I mean, like that's, <laughs> yeah. that's, you know, you have Canon. That's one thing. Like I said, Mark knows, like when you open up that Canon film guide, it comes with like a chopped up credit card and a couple of bits <laughs> of dust, but you, know, but you know, Disney's making the same mistake. I mean, like it's, it's but it's, it's almost as bad. I think, I think Mark will appreciate this. Have any of you guys seen the unreleased Roger Corman, Fantastic Four? Not in its entirety. I, I saw a documentary yeah. about it, but yeah. So what what is the name of uh, uh, Ben's girlfriend, Ben Grimm's girlfriend, who's blind? Alicia. Alicia, Alicia that's yeah. right. Yeah. So Alicia Masters, is that her name? Correct, yeah. yeah. Okay, so Alicia Masters is blind. They make it very clear that she's blind, but at one <laughs> point in the Roger Corman movie, they poison her with, you know, or like they knock her out with whatever that stuff's called, and it goes oh, to a point of view shot of her slowly losing her vision as she starts to pass out and it's like don't worry we forgot that she was blind for this moment we had to emphasize she was being knocked out so it's mario hemingway surviving the ozone layer is not as bad as that but it's pretty fucking close yeah oh yeah no no it's 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 bad it's it's you know but at that point in the film, when that's happening, you've thrown your hands up and just go, okay. I, yep. because you, <laughs> I think that's so all many of us other, where, yeah. You know, you got John Cryer as uh, a mainstream <sighs> punker. I mean, he's like, he's a punker if he was mainstream, which counterdicts what I know, but he's because like I've seen he was what, and that's some he's punk. what mainstream producers thought punk was. Right. Well, right. That, that's what right. uh, as as I used to say he's on Steve me with a skateboard. Hey guys, <laughs> Hello, fellow kids. No, but yeah. like uh, it's like what uh, MST3K used to say yeah. whenever they would see like a hippie in like a made for TV movie, they would call it a made for TV hippie. And I use that all the time. Like I was watching, I was watching dangerous minds with Michelle Pfeiffer for the first time. And I was like, Oh, these are made for TV gangsters. Like, you know, like right. this is the, the, this is made for TV. Uh, yeah. You know, well, this, well, this, this same year, John Cryer was in a movie called hiding out, which was one of the, yes. the big kind of 21 jump street knockoffs. Older detective goes undercover as a high school kid. The strange thing is he had the exact same hair, except the colors were reversed. Oh, yeah. my. Instead of the, the, the skunk on yeah. top, it was like the orange on the sides with the black on the oh, top. Uh, yeah. yeah. So he might have been just like going between sets between on these two things. I'm not sure. As, as Mark and I will say, we're both glad he got a shot to play Luthor later in life. Yes. He did a good job. Very uh, he did, much. Didn't he? So. That's right. And yeah. uh, just like, uh, what's your face from the last movie? She ended up on Smallville too, right? Uh, and to, and to, uh, Annette O'Toole was. Annette O'Toole, yeah. yeah. Martha she, King, was, yeah. she was on Smallville. And, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what a, what a yeah. wild universe we live in. But, Cry- mm-hmm. but Cryer getting to come back gets to redeem himself and plays probably one of the better characters in general in the CW era. Oh no, no, no. <laughs> no, in the Arrowverse. Uh yeah, he made and especially yeah. he he was a really good Luther. He he had the intelligence part down. He played it very well. He's what he's what um uh what's his name's uh, uh should have been Eisenberg. That it's what Luther's should have been 
mm-hmm. in Batman v Superman is what Cryer was in Supergirl. If we would have got Cryer's Luther in Batman v Superman, it's a different movie. Because hey, imagine if imagine if there wasn't a Batman versus Superman. Could you imagine? How oh, that I'd, would be awesome. No, hey, I'd be disappointed. I, I, I told this to Mark in confidence. <laughs> I revisited, as I as you know, BVS last weekend, and it's a movie I've hated for six years or however long it's been out. I remember. I've softened on it. I've softened on it. I give it a hard time. I don't think it's as bad as as Agreed. I like yeah. to gang up on it. It's not as bad, but it definitely is. the The thing I would say about that, and this this might be the difference between a Superman four as we wrap this up, and maybe Superman or Batman vs Superman, and also the Batman and. Man of Steel and a lot of these more serious ones that Don's talking about is it is tough to take kids to see those. Like it, it's really yes. tough to like, you know, see, you know, Superman break a dude's neck or, you know, like uh, have, you know, Lex Luthor give a Senator, a, uh, a, a Mason jar of piss before they blow up the Capitol. It, it's just, it's just harder. And, and Superman four in the end is like you said, it's the easiest one to throw in front of kids mm-hmm. because you get just, I miss that. I, yeah. do, I do miss that a little bit. I mean, yeah. yeah, there's you can't do that much anymore with these. No. They're, they're truly PG-13 movies now, and uh, we're stretching it a little bit. Like in Guardians, they stretch it yeah. a little bit. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah. Any final thoughts before we exit on this one? I'm good. I'm good. I, I, I'll just give good. a we're final thought. <laughs> I'll just give a, I'll give a final thought if, if you guys yeah. don't mind. I'll wrap it up. Don't mind quickly. at all. Um, Batman, uh, Superman for uh, was unfortunately uh, befallen to the canon problem, which eventually is just it's pretty much the start of the downfall of canon. They bought, you know, Lauren THM. They 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 just made bad investments. It it is sad to see what it was, but there is charm in it especially for the time it came out and when we had a time when superhero films were few and far between in general not just i mean you did not have one every three months you did not have one every mm-hmm. e- every year <laughs> even you know right. it was sparse so i could see why they wanted to make this if this had a better budget and done by the studio that started the superman franchise I think you get a better film and we're talking about it differently. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. it is what it is. It is in the Superman film canon, canon, no pun intended. And well, take it for what you do. If you want to watch it, I would say yes, but just, you know, remember where it came, you know, when it came out and what the situation was. It is an asterisk film, like you said, Ian, that you really shouldn't. But in this case, I think sometimes that can play into it. The Flash right now is an asterisk film with many people. So it's true. It's definitely yeah. ass. We've got <laughs> Ooh. Hey, Ooh. two of us haven't seen it yet, so yes. I haven't seen but it either. I, I'm just assuming. Yeah. Oh, okay. no, but you know what I mean? But, no, but like, what I'm, it, it's the end know. of the timeline. None of this is none of it's gonna go anywhere. It's just kind of there. It is an asterisk mm-hmm. movie for sure. You're well, right. and and I was gonna say that you say that it's part of the canon, but the Superman movies kind of jumped ahead of before Halloween made it popular mm-hmm. by Superman. Re- is it Superman returns? Is that the one it's yeah. called? I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Basically it's like, forget three and four happened. Like mm-hmm. this right. is the sequel to one and right. two. So, so technically like in true comic fashion, Superman four does live in kind of an alternate universe of movies. It does. Yes. So mm-hmm. you well, can look at and, it that way just, too. And just a real quick point here. Uh, something that genuinely confused me watching this movie again is the green crystal. Like, why does he have that? And then I remembered the Donner cut. And this is the reason you should watch it, Will. That mm-hmm. green crystal has a very important and different significance <laughs> in the Donner cut that makes uh, causes a giant continuity hole with part four. So mm-hmm. if for no other reason, just watch it and see what happens there. No, I, I'd love to watch it. I love Richard Donner. I pretty much... Everything he's, I, I've seen him do, I've liked for the most part. Um, so I do want to see it eventually. Um, I just got to wait for it. Well, actually, I'm, when I come to Chicago, Don's going to borrow it from me. I got yeah. it. I got a copy for you. It. Take it. So, well, before we do our wrap up dialogue, let's uh, let's talk about Ian and Mark. Tell us where we can find you on the interwebs, the information superhighway, and hopefully Richard Pryor doesn't, you know, steal 
some information. I don't know what I'm talking about. Just just tell us something about you. I don't know. I, I'm an idiot. <laughs> oh, I'll go first. Um, I'm Ian Simmons. I run Kicking the Seat, which you can find at kickseat.com. Uh, mostly, though, I'm on YouTube. If you look up the Kicking the Seat YouTube channel, uh, we do reviews and interviews and live stream roundtables and all that good stuff. So uh, it's the summer movie season, so we're covering blockbusters uh, pretty much every week. So uh, yeah, come check us out. Like, subscribe, all that jazz. We'd love to have you. And that would be me, specialmarkproductions.com for all your movie man needs. You get links to my YouTube, my Patreon, my TikTok, where I do cover uh, wide release films, but I cover them in a minute. Because you have fine, wonderful people that are on this panel that see it before I do and already give their opinions, and people have already read those opinions. So my opinion may not be as, you know, involved, but I give my minute review of the films uh, that are wide release. And so far, people seem to be responsive to them, which I very much appreciate. Uh, We do have... Uh, I, for me, a big interview possibly coming up. That's all I'm going to say right now. Uh, but I do have something that um, I never thought would happen. So that hopefully still happens. Uh, so we got that on the podcast. Plus, we got our episode where Ian and I differ on a film uh, that is related to my interview. So. And, if, and if you're and if you're listening to this in 2040, Mark interviewed Ridley Scott. So yes, I, I interviewed. I interviewed Ridley Scott only because, you know, uh, Christopher Nolan was busy filming. So well, I had to get no. Scott, you know. He's been but. in the editing room for <laughs> nine and a half I months. mean, Correct. I had <laughs> to give, I had to give Ridley's, I had to use the medallion to talk to Ridley Scott. And, you know, I could only ask him five questions, but still, you know, anyway. No, just <laughs> <laughs> well, it's always good to, uh, to be friends with another minute, man. So anyways, <laughs> we, uh, <laughs> twice follow. in one show. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I'm lucky if I can do it twice. All right. Follow us on Twitter at cinephile fit on Facebook at cinephile hits fit podcast and Instagram at cinephile fits. Find both me and Don by name on letterbox to check out our film reviews and ratings. And because I am on summer break and Don is just entering summer break, I get bored sometimes because I don't have anything to do. And I just go on and make a bunch of lists so you guys can go find them and argue with me on Twitter about it. Um, We are also on Rotten Tomatoes. We are members of the Independent Film Critics of America. I want to thank you for your loyal listenership or viewership in our tussles and for connecting with us on social media. Cinephile History Fed is a Ruminations Radio Network podcast sponsored by Film Obsessive and 25 Wild Media. If you enjoyed the show, the Ruminations Radio Network has more excellent programming with stellar hosts and spirited topics. Please rate, review, and subscribe to our show and others on iTunes, Spotify, and anywhere you find your favorite podcasts. <laughs>